This is How I Hire, Podcast Episode 3, James E. Kelly. I hire what I can't teach. Hi, and welcome to This is How I Hire, a podcast that gives job seekers and hiring teams the insider's view on exactly what executives consider as they recruit top talent. I'm your host, Amy L. Adler, and I'm the president of Five Strengths Career Transition Experts, an executive resume writing and career transition firm headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah. Find us at fivestrengths.com and thisishowihire.com. I'm honored to be speaking today with James E. Kelly, currently the U.S. Business Development Lead for Solzer, which delivers syringe-based mixing and administration of orthobiologics and pharmaceuticals. Jim Kelly is this incredible mix of startup, global, corporate, sales, marketing, and even military experience. He's worked at some of the biggest names in medical device manufacturing, Merit Medical, Biosphere, and Johnson & Johnson, just to name a few. He's also spearheaded the development and commercialization of some pretty cool bio-device startups, working with the University of Utah Technology and Venture Commercialization Organization as an advisor and growth catalyst. I always enjoy speaking with Jim about his background and leadership style because he's super insightful about his expertise and always ready to invite an answer to a question or to describe an experience from his deep and broad background. As you listen in on our chat, I hope you will see, as I did, the way Jim's depth of personal research throughout the hiring process impacts his decision-making process, especially as he chooses to hire individuals with different types of knowledge from his own. Friends and fellow executives, please welcome Jim Kelly to This Is How I Hire. Welcome to another podcast episode of This Is How I Hire. I have the incredible honor of having with me today, Jim Kelly. Jim and I have known one another for some time. He never ceases to make me laugh. He never ceases to find a way to educate me and to make me really think about my choice of words and what it means to be a leader in the healthcare arena, in uh, medical devices and in pharmaceuticals, all the way from marketing to business development. So welcome. Thank you, Amy. It's great to be here. I, I am truly glad to be talking to you. I'm always glad to be talking to you. Like I said, I, I never walk away from a conversation with you in which I don't learn something new. So I am looking forward to hearing your perspective today on your experience on the hiring side of the desk, not just what it means to be somebody looking to bring on good people, but to develop a culture and to organize a division or a department so that it can function really, really well. Sure. Uh, I've, got some, I've got some experience in a lot of these areas, and I'm happy to share my perspectives, and, and I hope it's helpful to you and your audience. Well, thank you. So let me start by actually taking you back just a little bit. What led you to join? I, I guess I never asked this. What led you to join the healthcare arena, pharmaceuticals and medical devices, straight out of the Marines? That seems like a, quite a jump there. It, it was. Thank you for asking. And the real, what, what, what was going on there was my sister, I have uh, four sisters and two brothers, and one of my sisters um, had a spinal pathology called scoliosis. When I was younger, uh, one or two years old, she was in the hospital and had a, a spinal fusion completed. 
And that lasted um, for 25 years, give or take. And it was after she delivered her child that the fusion and the, the process, the, the, the physical trauma that a woman goes through delivering a baby disrupted the fusion. And over the next several years, her fusion deteriorated to the point where she couldn't stand up straight. And this was a very common uh, pathology after these early scoliosis fusions. And so I, I always carried that around with me in the back of my mind. And as I was exiting the Marine Corps, I had the opportunity to interview with a company that actually made products and taught, tried to teach uh, spine surgeons how to do these um, complex and in many cases not so complex spinal fusions and reconstructions. And so it was out of an interest to help, you know, learn more about the pathology troubling my sister and maybe help her out that I was attracted to medical devices in general and to the, at the time, the spine space in particular. So that's really interesting. So that was um, in a development role, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, it was product so, management. It was, oh, it was uh, product management. Well, actually, initially... Initially, I was hired as a sales rep to cover right. um, what they call the development territory. And it was a great opportunity for a young man getting or a woman getting out of the military um, to, to go into a, 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 an undeveloped territory. He had a lot to learn. He had a lot to offer. But if things didn't quite go according to plan, at least according to this company's philosophy, well, it's a developing territory, you know, it's not the end of the world. And it was a great win-win for me as a candidate and eventual hire, as well as for the company. Someone I'm sure as a, as a personal gift to your sister at that stage. Especially. It took a while for me to learn. It took a while for me to learn a few things, but I, eventually I got up to speed and, and I was able to introduce her to some of, some of our companies thought leaders and some of the surgeons who helped us with sales training and didn't really mention any names at the start, but I just said, you know, I know people who have this type of pathology. Do you know anything about this? How does this, you know, what happens when somebody has this pathology? What are their options? And so it was, it was very helpful to be part of the, uh, part of the industry and help my sister. That's, that's a lovely story. Um, that's a really lovely story. Um, so let me ask, so you were doing the, business development role and going into new territories and shaking things up. Um, and then you had this product role. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly, you were the group product director. Was it in that role? Pardon me? Oh, yes, I was. Sorry, I was, didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no worries. So as group product director, is, is that the role in which you might have made your first hire? leading that group? No, my first hire, I, I, I transitioned from the sales group to the marketing group. And so it was about year two and a half when I was working with this company where I, where the, where the group, the, our marketing group was expanding to keep up with the business. And so it was, it was, it was a very um, exciting and dynamic time. And we never had enough arms and legs and people around to do anything. Um, and I was moved to product responsibilities with a large, well, at the time, one of the largest product lines in the company. And they, they, the director of marketing and HR decided that I needed some help. So they gave me the opportunity to hire an assistant product manager to like, a, you know, to, to help with 
not only help me, but also in a broader sense, learn the company, learn the customers, and ultimately, you know, hopefully this person would be somebody that would blossom and have their own group down the road. Did it go like that? What do you recall from it pretty, first hire? Yeah, pretty much did. It's, it's my first hire's name was Jim, and I can't remember where I can't remember exactly where he came from, but a lot of the things that I looked for in that hiring situation, I, I continue to look for to this day. One of them, there's, there's tangibles and intangibles. And Jim was, was properly prepared. He had, uh, he was dressed appropriately. He, um, and so, so that whole kettle of fish that there's lots of other things, lots of other, um, uh, articles and so on and so forth about he, he really did his homework and had that squared away. And then there was his resume and he, he had that squared away and he could talk to every bullet on his resume. And it, it was, it really reassured me as a first time hiring manager that I probably could continue to look around and, and try to find somebody better but in reality, I was just going to find somebody different. Jim was the right guy at the right time for the job. And I felt confident that I had done my homework. I had a few other people kind of take a look and interview him on my behalf. Uh, people from R&D and regulatory and other, other uh, areas where Jim would be interacting on a regular basis. And so there was a lot of questions about his technical expertise, which was a little low. And there was a lot of questions and, and discussion about how he would fit. And the, the, the overwhelming response, both for myself and my colleagues, was that Jim would be a great fit and no reason not to hire him. So you're not the first person to raise the technical expertise versus fit question. So this is becoming really interesting yeah. to me. Um, clearly, you thought that fitting in the organization was more important than knowledge about any particular thing, although you say he really understood his own background and he could really speak to that. How did you make that assessment, that balance, or, or put those two things in a, in a, on a scale and say, well, this is, this is going to work for us because this is the right guy for, for this role or for this company or for this group, even if his technical skills needed some brushing up? There are two things that guide me in this topic area. One is the general statement of, I tend to hire what I cannot teach. So I can teach in this, in this context, I can teach spine pathology, spinal anatomy, I can teach about the products. What I can't teach and what I don't have time to teach are marketing, forecasting skills, familiarity with Excel, the ability to write a proper paper or a thank you note or the, the, the willingness to get up early, stay late, go to meetings, travel a lot. Those are things that I can't teach. And in this particular situation were unbelievably necessary. And so I, I, I started then and have since continued to hire what I cannot teach. The other thing that I look for and that I, and I rely heavily on um, references is I want people who have been successful in their whatever prior professional life they had. And in this case, he had to have some prior professional life. He had to have a couple of years of marketing under his belt somewhere. I can't remember where. But I then 
took it upon myself to talk to his previous hiring manager or people who knew him or, would, you know, sometimes those are touchy areas because the, the candidate's company doesn't know that they're interviewing elsewhere, so on and so forth. But I made it clear to Jim that I'm, I wanted to ask people who knew him professionally, who knew him very well professionally, I'm going to ask them very direct questions about their assessment as to whether or not he would be successful in my environment. And he needed to be comfortable with that. And I would, you know, I, I, I tend to speak very plainly to candidates in this situation. I'm going to, words like, or phrases like, I'm going to talk extensively about you with people who know you. I'm going to talk a lot about you behind your back. And, um, and I, I, I look forward to learning a lot more about you that, I, that neither of us would learn in this environment. And I'll be back soon can't really put a date on that because sometimes schedules slide around um, when you're talking to references and things like that. But I'll get back to you soon with uh, what do I find out. And that's, those are the next steps. And uh, Jim and the re candidate's reaction, in this case, Jim's reaction was, Hey, bring it on. I, I, I stand on my record. I've given you the list of references that I think are going to be the right represent, you know, right references. And, and, and those are the breadcrumbs that I followed in, in the process of, of learning more about Jim without Jim in the room. So all of these people were people that he picked? I mean, that's, that's usually how references work. Um, that's exactly right. Yep. So not to put too fine a point on it, but wouldn't he have picked people that he knew were going to say nice things? It sounds like he had a pretty good head on his shoulders and, and he was good at what he did. So there was no skeletons in the closet, so to speak. But that, uh, to me, that seems to be the one thing about references um, that I, I can't really explain away, is that, of course, you're going to choose references that are going to say nice things about you. Um, how do you, sure. you know, but it also that. depends yeah. on the questions that you ask. Uh, in, in my case, you can hear a little bit coming through this uh, discussion today. I tend to be very direct and I not only listen to the words that are delivered in response to my questions, but I listen to the manner in which they're delivered. And I encourage any hiring manager to listen with their head as well as their heart, especially if they're speaking with somebody over the phone. If you can meet with a reference over coffee and, and see their physical body language, that's even better. But most of the time I'm pretty good at listening with my head and my heart. And I ask, I try to ask questions that, are of two categories. Category one is, you know, as Jim and I were going through his resume, we talked about these various things. I would like you to tell me your side of the story on this particular point in the resume that Jim described. And if Jim, in this case, uh, sold or described himself or Jane described herself as having played a prominent role in a major launch at a prior company and the and the hiring manager comes along and says, well, they, they actually never touched that product. Okay. That's, that's a simple, that's a very simple thing to kind of ferret out. And, um, and there's nuance to how you ask the question. So you don't kind of lead the witness, lead the reference person too much, but that's, that's one type of question is, is pulling things off the candidate's resume and going directly to the reference to see if what the candidate said and how they said it matches what the, person said on the reference. Um, and, and, you know, you can only do your best. Sometimes people 
uh, bob and weave and deceive, and they bring people into their orbit to try to do the same thing on their behalf. Maybe they've been out of work for a while. Um, and you're, and one, and a hiring manager's ability to listen with their head as well as with their heart will more often than not, in my experience, raise those flags. And the hiring manager has the prerogative to go back to the flags and further, further analyze or move on. That's the, that's your prerogative. And there's a lot that goes into how you make that decision, which we might get into in a moment. The other thing that I try to do um, when I'm hiring somebody and talking to their reference is tell me about the last time you remember so-and-so getting mad. Tell me about the last time so-and-so got frustrated. Oh, so-and-so never gets mad. So-and-so never gets frustrated. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. That's not going to work. I live, I live in a very real world where frustrations happen on a regular basis. And if you're telling me that this person has no experience of dealing with frustration, then I'm afraid I'm going to have to move on. And so usually you hear a gulp on the other end of the phone and say, well, you know, in these particular situations, um, here's, here's, a, here's a scenario and here's how the candidate handled it. And that is much more authentic and valuable information to me, almost to the exclusion of anything else. I need the reference I need, I don't go out of my way to put references on the spot, but if they try to dodge a question, I, I tend to, I tend to, I don't know how other hiring managers do it. I tend to go back after that question with vigor and as a, as a means to really learn as much as I can about the candidate. And that's, that comes back to the topic of fit that we touched on a moment ago. Without a doubt. And it also sounds like you're, you're um, trying to figure out what kind of a communication style the reference referring individual might have as well, because it might take some, yeah. as you say, listening with head and heart to, to figure out real, what they're really trying to say um, and what their relationship That's exactly right. was with, yeah, with the person, um, which in a way, um, just a small di uh, diversion here. It sounds like that's a very different way of thinking about uh, tell me something nice about this person, then you might say find on someone's LinkedIn profile, which it's usually always glowing. Um, yeah. Do you ever check it those out? It's great for I mean, background, it's great yeah. for color, but the things that I rely on, I rely on the face-to-face -face interview and I rely on conducting my own reference checks. I almost never turf them to anybody else. But I don't have the time as a hiring manager to do my own homework on somebody that I'm going to be working with for, you know, for whatever time horizon, you know, could be years, even decades. I'm not going to take the time to do those reference checks on my own. Um, probably, you know, and, and, and sometimes that gets into a rub with a recruiter or the HR person. They feel a little slighted. Oh, that's my job. Oh, let me do my job. Blah, blah, blah. No way. I'm hiring this person. I have to live with the decision. I'm talking to the references. End of story. That sounds like them's fighting words. Like that's a, that's a. Um, just how it is in Jim's world. Just how, it, just is. how it is. Um, so when you're, you're getting these references, um, the expectation is that these are going to say, these folks are going to say reasonably good things about the person. If you think that they're good enough at that stage to, to send you off on a, a mission to, to talk to them. Um, Total curiosity. Have you ever rejected a candidate based on their references? 
Um, sure. No, I don't think I have. Um, at least if I have, I can't come up with an ex totally with, with, with the example. Usually I, I'm pretty, they, if I'm getting to the references stage, it's a good, it's a, it's a candidate that I think is good for me. And I will have in, in concert with my colleagues who, who help interview, help me through the interview process as well. Um, I, it's, it's usually pretty good. The references and, and almost always for me are tell me about how this person behaves in, in, in under pressure. Tell me about how the person behaves this way. Are they introverted? Are they extroverted? You know, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, they, they, they came in right on time. You know, sometimes I like my people walking into meetings early. So can I expect them right on time? Or is that, what, what is your experience? So it's, it's not, it's, it's more, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot more color, but I will also go out of my way, you know, especially in, in, in mission critical aspects of the hiring, like product launch. I need the hiring man. I need that hiring manager to pretend that they're me and describe this person working on my team. I bet that provides a tremendous amount of color and, and visualization for you and gives you the, the context. Yeah. yeah. It has. It's, it's served me well. So let's take a step back. So now we're talking about, we were just talking about references, but let's just take a step back and talk about the interview with the candidate just for a second. Sure. Uh, so this person's walking into your office and you alluded to the fact earlier that first impressions mattered very much to you. Um, the way they self-present, yes. how they handle your going through their resume with a fine-toothed comb. Um, did they show up on time? Did they do the right thing? Um, and obviously your, your friend, Jim, your, your first hire was, um, that was back in the day and now you're doing other kinds of hiring. Um, and I'm, I'm going to believe that your hiring process has evolved over time too. Um, a little bit. A little bit. I, I, I can't, I know you stick to your guns. Um, so the individual walks in and is sitting down and is, is talking to you. And, and maybe you're asking the initial sort of traditional questions about, tell me a little bit about you or how was your day or however you start to, um, the conversation. What would trigger you uh, to sort of lean in and listen harder for something even more exciting about a candidate? Something that would inspire you to want to learn something even more um, comprehensive about what they have to offer? What might they say or what kind of, ca what category of things do they talk about that says, ask me more questions, let me tell you more? Sure. There's a few things in that, in that area. Number one is data. I, on my own resumes, and I, I gravitate towards people who behave this way as well. Give me data. Give me, uh, you know, launch this product faster than any launch had ever happened before in the history of the company. Or I launched three products in the span of when most mortal product managers only launch one. Or uh, other types of I gravitate towards candidates who are, who are confident enough and bold enough to put quant data on their resume. I saved the company half a million dollars doing this, that, or the other thing. 
And that's a tough ask. If a candidate put that on their resume, they know I'm going to go talk to their references and ask them that question. And so, and listen for the answer and blah, blah, blah. So I love candidates who are bold and confident and put data that I can react to and push and pull on. Um, I also love people, people. I am a people person, or at least I consider myself to be a people person. And, uh, and, and I consider the activities in, in my, my daily professional life and my personal life to be very human oriented. And so a person has to look the part, they have to sound, they have to look the part, sound the part, speak the part. And, and I'm a little old school. Um, you know, I, I, I have a military background. And so there are certain things that I'm attracted to in terms of how my candidates behave. They don't have to say yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, that kind of thing. They don't have to sit rigidly fixed in a chair, but their body language should be comfortably professional. Their, and, and, and the tone and tenor of their responses needs to be everything that you would coach a candidate on how to respond. It needs to be factual, quick, well, quick may not be the right word, but if, if they're still talking after two minutes, I probably shut, shut my brain off. And so, so people who know what they're doing in an interview environment are really important to me because I think that translates to, I know how they're going to behave in a, in a business environment. That's really interesting um, that you were alluding to being concise. Say what you got to say, yeah. say in a way that conveys comparative excellence. That was the data, the quantitative data component. And do it in such a way that the person makes the room feel comfortable, that they're, as you say, comfortably professional. They're not super rigid. They're not putting their feet on the desk, uh, but they understand their environment. And, and, I, and I, I think it's human nature. If they put me at ease, that's valuable because I'm, I, I work in a high end and I work in a high upmarket environment. Most of my customers earn two to five times what we as marketers would earn. So these are folks who come from a level of very uh, upper, upper class um, social environment. So I'm, I'm looking in that and, and I need to, I need to put in front of them people who look the part and, and that, that is important. So you're in this. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, no, you're good. <laughs> we go way back. So you're in this environment and, and this person is making you feel comfortable and they're kind of crossing all the T's and dotting the I's. And at some point you have then talked to their references and you, you've gone through your due diligence. Um, Yep. Are you taking it? So we mentioned, actually, you, you sometimes have other people interview your candidates and there are recruiters involved in HR and stuff. Whose advice are you listening to at that stage about making that offer, about picking that particular individual? I am listening to the advice of anybody who touched the candidate, their recruit, the, 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 the recruiter, from the recruiting agency, the, the H, my HR partner, my colleagues in R&D, my colleagues in marketing. If I have a boss and the boss wants to meet the candidate, candidate meets the boss. No questions asked. And 
and I listen to all the feedback. Some of it is clipped and curt. Sometimes I've had bosses who say, yep, good hire. I'd have no problem with this. Or you've got to be crazy. You know, don't, don't even, don't even bring it up again. So um, that's the boss. Everybody else is, is color. And, and that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a composite of the candidate that I can't get because I've only known the can't only been in the room or on the phone with the candidate for a cumulative two hours. So all of these other things, all of these other interactions are so valuable and so enriching to how the candidate's going to work out or not in, in whatever environment I'm in. I appreciate hearing that. Um, it, it, your, your process sounds very internally consistent. Um, so I imagine over a couple of decades, this has gotten really, really refined um, for you and that um, you kind of know, know the steps, which leads me to, to wonder how, how your process might differ uh, because you've been in, in all sorts of organizations and, and all sorts of functions. So everything from, from sales and business development to marketing and product development and in the startup world and in the multinational global institution. Um, does, does the environment or the function change, change the way you hire? Not really. Not, not for me. For me, there's, there's certain fundamentals that I try to stick to as I'm evaluating candidates for a role. And you've heard a lot of them here in our call today. I'm, I'm looking at the person in front of me. I'm considering the role that I need them to fill. I'm considering the environment of my company and, and, and their behavior. Um, and, and I'm considering their competency. I've had to hire clinical people who have to have a, a, a very specific confidence and, and competence. And, and so that's, uh, it, it, there's, there's a lot and a little there. The, the, main, the main thrust is the job, the environment, the size, shape, description, whatever of the company really doesn't matter because it boils down to me and that candidate. That candidate and I are getting professionally hitched. And so I need to be able to count on this candidate when I need to be able to count on them. And there's whether English is their first language or not, they have to be able to convince me that this is a good fit. So it's chemistry, not to make a yeah. pun, a bad one at that, but it's chemistry. It's how does this person fit in the cool. organization, fit with you, fit with the people that you need to impress on the buying side? How do they fit? That's got to be the underlying. And I, and I if I can if I can wander for a moment, I'll give an example of Please. of uh, one of my bolder hires. So I was faced with the prospect of building a team, and my marching orders from my boss was, "Do not use a hiring agency. He would not pay the fee." All right, fine. So I went on LinkedIn and adjusted the search parameters to find candidates in the local area who seem to at least have the right keywords on their resumes. And I found one who had a, had a medical device sales background. And she turned out to be possibly the best hire that I've ever hired. I picked her off of, uh, a list of names in LinkedIn, called her up, didn't get her on the first try. She called me back. So that demonstrated sincere interest in something she knew nothing about and had no reason to 
you know, I'm calling cold calling candidates out of the blue. And as we got to know each other, she didn't know a lick about our industry. She didn't know anything about our, uh, about how we did things, but she did know product management unbelievably well. And so going back to the points I made earlier about hiring what I can't teach, that makes a difference. And she, she blossomed in ways that I never expected. And she gave me some concerns in ways I never expected. In the interview process, it never occurred to me that she was an introvert. She was. And, and she was all business in her, in, in going about her daily life and at work-wise and, and professionally and all of that. And she was all business. And I'm accustomed to you know, people a little bit more like Jim. There's some gregarity there and all of that. And she could turn it on and turn it off when it mattered. But as a matter of course, and working with her on a regular basis, she was a little, there was a reserve and I don't want to say shy, but just a very solid comfort in going about her business her way and not, not being the life of the party. And it turned out for all kinds of reasons to be one of the best hires that I've ever made. And I bring this up specifically, Amy, because I think too many, too often, hiring managers are attracted to the gregarious. They're attracted to the people who have personality and things like that. And I would just put a plug out there for people who are introverted will, will reward the perceived risk of hiring an introvert so many times over. They're awfully good at what they do. And, and, and I, and I'm one of the best hires I ever made was this girl. And, and, uh, we talk to this day and, you know, we, we share each other's, you know, joys, you know, triumphs and disasters work-wise. Uh, we both work at different companies now, but I just wanted to put that plug out there, um, because sometimes people feel concerned about making their hiring risk or this person's personality may not be this or that. And I had another hire years ago on the other extreme. He was too person, too much personality. Um, and his name was Pete. We hired Pete, and I, I said, Pete, look, I'm going to bring you in here, but I need you to be all about the business when it's all about the business. And love your personality. It's big and it's fun. But right here and now, I need you to convince me that you're the right person for the job, and I'm not just hiring a, you know, Mr. Personality. And and I'll put people on the spot like that. And so it, it, it a little beyond the scope of what we were talking about, but I just wanted to put that plug in there. No, I don't think it's outside the the scope at all because it sounds like um, a good combination of cautionary tale and um, and words of wisdom, um, where to strike the balance and to see behind the exterior um, and to recognize that an introvert might not be shy and an extrovert might not be great at every opportunity um, beyond um, their particular expertise. So they may be phenomenal at it and they just need to, to get a little bit of a, um, some guideposts, shall we say, about working in that, in that particular culture. So it's sure. not, I don't think it's far outside the scope at all. I think it's, it's a really good piece of advice and hopefully our audience will, will see it that way and, and take, um, take it to heart. Um, because I don't think, we're talking about that kind of a thing enough. We're not talking about um, seeing beyond the, um, the skin deep kind of stuff or beyond the resume. So, so I appreciate that. In both of those cases, the references were played invaluable roles in helping me understand 
the person in front of me. It wasn't, wasn't a go, no go. It was a matter of understanding. And so when you ask that question about, you know, has thing, have ch- things changed over time? I've learned a few things, but really the, the person sitting in front of me, the resume, the, all of that, plus their references, really are the, are the building blocks by which I make a hiring decision. Well, you, you jumped right into the question I wanted to know is if things have changed over time, what would that change have been? But it sounds like this has just been rock solid foundation for you from minute one and it's served you. And the, the, I would say I've probably become a little more pithy, a little more precise in my lingo about what I'm trying to hire and how or who I'm trying to hire and how. Um, and, and one of that, an example of that is I hire what I can't teach. This is the job. This is what I need you to do. Future glory and prospects about where else you could go in this corporate universe, in this company, whatever. I'm happy to have those conversations all, all day long. But Monday morning when you walk in here, this is what you're going to do. And I need to be convinced that you're going to be perfectly happy and fulfilled doing it. Blah, blah, blah. And so that's, uh, and, and that's, an, and that usually goes back to me trying to hire what I can't teach and making sure that there's good fit with all of that. And, and it works with reps, it works with marketers, clinical people, all of, all of, all of those types of folks. I have not, well, I actually did hire a R and D person for a marketing role and that went very well also. It's all about the speaking and plain speak and not trying to be too flashy or not feeling sheepish, like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to an R&D person, so I have to sound like an R&D person as I'm talking to them now. It's, it's more about just speaking the, speak the clear, use, use plain language, and, and the candidate and the hiring manager will figure out in, in, in concert whether or not there's a fit, whether or not there's a reason to talk further. Well, I appreciate hearing it, your description in such plain language. Um, it, it resonates with me uh, and it, it helps me on my side of the thing, um, which of course isn't either side of the desk. I'm, I'm outside the process, but it makes me think, what would somebody in your shoes want to hear or see or think about? Um, and what does a candidate need to do to to show up with that emotional intelligence and give that good first impression and be consistent in that presentation all the way through to the point where they were consistent before you even met them. And the references that they worked with some time ago are going to say the same thing and they're going to corroborate that story and they're going to bring all of those things to the table. Truly, Jim, once again, I have learned so much from everything you say. I am grateful for your time. Amy, I'm a big fan of yours and your organization. Anything I can do to help you and your clients, I'm delighted to participate. And so thank you for asking me. This has been a real treat. I'm so glad to have you on This Is How I Hire. It means a lot to me. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of This Is How I Hire. I'm so grateful for the time Jim Kelly, business development lead with Sulzer, has spent with me to talk about his strategies for and perceptions of the hiring process. If this episode has been of interest to you, I encourage you to download the other episodes as well. Every executive with whom I'm speaking brings a unique set of insights on the hiring process, and I'm sure we can all learn from their collective wisdom. Also, I hope that when you're on iTunes, you'll leave This Is How I Hire a five-star review. 
As always, if you are going through a career transition yourself, or if your company is about to make some changes and you'd like to support your team without placement, please call me at 801-810-5627 or visit me at fivestrengths.com. Thanks again for listening to This Is How I Hire.